Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Friday, September 30th, 2022. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast of the United States. My guest is well known to many of you. Jeff Deist is the president of the Mises Institute. The Mises Institute is the finest collection of uh, scholarly work on the free market and Austrian economics anywhere in the world. It's headquartered adjacent to Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. I'm on the board of the Mises Institute and have a long and happy relationship with it, just as I've had with Jeff. Jeff, it's a pleasure. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Judge. You have a fascinating piece, which strictly speaking is not about Austrian economics, but obviously is about freedom, which you recently published in an Italian scholarly journal. And the English version of the speech is evolution or corruption. And it's about the language we speak and the meaning of words. So tell us how language evolves and how it is corrupted. Two very different processes, one of which we might liken to the marketplace, a laissez-faire marketplace where people interact voluntarily. And so the evolution of language happens organically or naturally from the bottom up. And the other process we might call imposition or corruption is top down, uh, engineered by elites. And that could be anybody from the Associated Press to the Modern Language Association to the Chicago Manual. Uh, to politicians, to professors, to Merriam-Webster dictionary, uh, attempting to shift or shape language in ways that serve a political agenda. So I think language is always a battlefield. It's always a front, a cultural front in any war. But sometimes I think we're not very aware of it. In other words, these linguistic changes are being imposed upon us, maybe even stealthily. Uh, But nonetheless, I, I do believe that to an extent they're being imposed. So I recently uh, uh, wrote a piece about Julian Assange defending his revelation of war crimes uh, committed during the Bush uh, administration under the Pentagon uh, Papers Supreme Court uh, opinion. And in giving the background, uh, I talked about how he got his information from uh, a thief who was in the military by the name of Bradley Manning. And in giving a little bit of background about Manning, I referred to his sex change operation while in federal prison. And one of my editors, since my pieces like yours end up in all kinds of venues, changed it to gender transitioning. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that an example of what you're talking about? To me, a sex change operation is the butchering of a body. But boy, gender transitioning sounds like it's something smooth and neat and easy and, and, and welcoming. 
Well, that's absolutely a, a perfect example. And it's really in the trans lexicon where we see, I think, some of these most outright impositions where we hear about gender affirming care as a euphemism for, again, mutilation, surgery, um, sometimes even on people who are under 18, apparently, in some cases. So we have all this coded language in our society now. Uh, and sometimes it's more obvious, sometimes it's less. But oftentimes it, it's not very, um, let's show, shall we say, delicate. Like, for instance, when we call someone a climate change denier, because right. people have some reservations about the entirety of the Green New Deal or how bad carbon emissions really are and what all this means and what it would actually mean to severely curtail fossil fuels. You know, anyone with any doubts can be lumped into this, this category of a denier. And of course, the, the use of that word is intended to liken them to a Holocaust denier, uh, which is uh, obviously a very indelicate and awful thing to say about someone. So, you know, this is just an example of, I would call it bullying almost, where the language itself, the words used contain their own exhortations, let's say. Um, it, it's kind of like the old adage, when did you stop beating your wife? Right, you know, th right. This, this, is how we're, this is how the English language is being operated now by progressives. All right. So we've lost control of language, we've lost control of the meaning of words. Did we ever have control of language? And do we ever have meaning, control of meaning of words? Or is the phenomenon that you have written so beautifully about and are now summarizing been with us for millennia? I think it's always been with us in the sense that language is an instrument of empire, which a famous Spanish bishop said in the 1500s, and, and right, right when Spain was about to embark on kicking the Moors out of the Iberian Peninsula, for example, and of course, for the next 100 years, they did indeed use Spanish as a weapon throughout the Americas. Uh, obviously, the Roman army spread Latin throughout much of what we today call Europe, and the, clearly the British Empire brought the English language to India, to Africa. So, Yes, there's, there have always been impositions, but now today, especially in the West, but really almost e even in Asia today, English has become a default language of sorts, which is used almost anywhere. And for those of us who were born and raised in the English speaking world, it's a privilege because we can travel internationally and there are signs and other things in our vernacular. And so that's, that makes life awfully nice for us, but it also tends to bring Western thought and Western ideas with it. So what the struggle is today is not whether English will predominate. I, I think it does. The, the struggle today is who's English and which English and whether this is top down or bottom up. And I think it's increasingly this is a, a top down phenomenon where people are trying to go beyond political correctness, which is now an outdated term to describe, you, you know, a sort of set of social uh, niceties into something much broader. Uh, obviously, people use this term woke very broadly and consistently well, you know, coherently, but, but that's what this is. That's what's happening here. It's a broader worldview, a whole host of cultural precepts and, and language is part of embedding those precepts. All right. So have we reached the point where if you're not woke, you can be punished? Well, the, the short answer to that is yes. In some environments on some college campuses, if you were to say sex change, as opposed to gender transitioning, if you refer to a person as he rather than they, even you're talking about one person, 
you can endure some sort of discipline or humili- humiliation or even even worse. I mean, how how bad is this that there are language police among us? Well, I guess the question is, what's the over-under on a bet that in 10 years, the United States has hate, hate speech laws, criminal hate speech laws, like Canada and a lot of Western Europe have today? I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, right. well, you're, you're a lawyer, and you, you and I and most people listening to us who, who are regular viewers of uh, judging freedom, that hate speech is protected speech, but that could change with two or three votes on the Supreme Court. Absolutely. So this is the direction. Um, and you can colonize people without using tanks and bombs and troops. I mean, there's lots of ways to colonize people. And uh, the Western world has in many ways culturally colonized the, the whole world, especially with the Internet. I mean, everybody uses Google. Everybody uses Twitter, these kinds of platforms. So it's I think language is something that we have to defend. I think, first of all, we have to recognize that we're in a battle for it. And second of all, I think we have to defend it. That evolution is okay. You know, we don't go around saying who whomst. <laughs> we don't go around saying thou anymore. You know, we don't use Shakespeare's English. We don't use Middle English, and that's fine, uh, provided that that's happening because of popular usage or common usage or precise usage. But when it's happening to serve an agenda, and I think that's increasingly the case, uh, as my paper tries tries to lay out, then I think we need to pay attention. Is it fair to say that to lose control of words is to lose control of meaning? Well, yes, it's like Alice in Wonderland. It, it's very, very frustrating. And, and Orwell spoke about this in his, uh, at, at, uh, I think very well, in his 1946 essay, Politics in the English Language, which is a great read. It's online, very short, easy to find. And so even as World War II was still winding down, he was talking about what he called meaningless words, uh, words that are used in consciously dishonest ways to, to suit the, the speaker or the writer's political narrative. And even way back then, he used the terms fascism and democracy as examples of this. Fascism was just had become a catch-all term for sort of bad or authoritarian things we don't like. And democracy had become and certainly has become, is still today a proxy term for a good government or a government of which we approve. That's democracy. Right. So, so, so meaningless was, was words are not meaningless words are not gibberish like blah, 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 blah. meaningless words are words that mean whatever the speaker wants them to mean and they may mean something different to the listener. Absolutely. And and we are well, we've always had those. Is the problem more acute now than it's ever been? Why did you write this great piece? I think it's more acute now simply because the digital world makes the spread and the, either the corruption or the evolution of language that much faster. Uh, when we think of who controlled language in the past, well, first of all, most people were illiterate up until, let's say, a few hundred years ago. And so it tended to be monarchs or clergy controlling language. And then the printing press comes along, which makes uh, widespread literacy more possible. But still, in an analog world, things take a lot longer to spread. But now we have a digital world, and we can see that, with especially with social media platforms, a particular meme, a particular phrase, a particular saying uh, can spread almost overnight. So I think um, our progressive friends are using the technology at their disposal to weaponize this 
And we may soon be in an era where if, uh, if someone's born biologically male, but becomes a transgender person, and we refer to, to this person as, as he, when they don't want to be, uh, we might be up against it. So changes in language not only affect how we think and feel, but how we act. And changes in language, as you say, may be weaponized by the left or the right to force us to behave differently. This would be very, very subtle and would require sort of a public sentiment behind it, but I can see it coming. I can feel it coming. Well, if we think about, especially, well, really both the social and physical sciences, when we think about epistemology, when we think about knowledge itself, we need precise definitions. If words don't have agreed upon definitions or if they're constantly shifting, uh, obviously that's a huge problem for any kind of truth claims. It, it turns us basically into all postmodernists because you know how do we know anything we know if the words we use? And again, everything we view, everything we take into our senses, we uh, translate into English if we happen to be English speakers. Th this is how our cognitive brains work. So even when we consider, let's say, music or mathematics, which both have a language of their own apart from the our Roman alphabet, even when you take a musical concept like a note or a scale or a mathematical concept like a point on a graph, it, you use language to conceptualize those things. Right, right, right. And so even from birth, as Noam Chomsky explained to us, how we learn anything, almost all the knowledge we have, you know, the, the process is a, is a linguistic one. And In so your... if, if you want to control something important, uh, I would say language is right up there with food, air, and water. Wow. I was just going to ask you, in, in your research, did you find uh, examples of efforts to control? I mean, and, and this would be control without the government. This would be control by, well, nobody would say that, and everybody knows that's wrong. This would be control by private intellectual forces interfering with the freedom of speech. I mean, in, in, in Russia, for example, hardly a, a paradigm of freedom, you cannot can call whatever is happening in Ukraine a war. Even though we use that phrase, whatever side you're on, whether you think Putin's a butcher or Zelensky's a Nazi, whatever it is, we use that phrase openly in America, but you can be punished for calling it a war uh, in Russia. I guess the punishment in America would come in the form of social ostracization or loss of standing or denial of tenure at a college. It's not going to come in the form of incarceration, at least not yet. Well, uh, as you well know, the divide between public and private entities has been vanishing in, in recent years. <laughs> right. So, I mean, someone like Twitter can certainly affect your life. But I don't think we should view this only in terms of, of criminal imprisonment. There are lots of ways to shrink someone's life down and make it smaller. They may not be in a prison cell. You may not shrink their life that much, but certain job opportunities, certain social opportunities uh, may be lost to them. And we have examples like Professor Amy Wax at Penn Law, uh, who may well lose tenure and, and be fired uh, for saying what I think were, you know, some untoward things. I suppose most people would agree. 
but that this is where we are today. I mean, what, what's the point of it being a tenured professor if you're not allowed to, to seek and, and speak out about truth as you see it? That's the point the of professor, professor Ira Katz at Princeton, who's a friend of mine, maybe the, the world's most brilliant classicist, not only were, uh, lost tenure, he lost his job because he referred to uh, Black Lives Matter uh, amiably as a group of young terrorists. And for that phrase, a group of young terrorists hmm. tried to intimidate me, blah, 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 blah. But that's the key phrase. He's been fired by a vote of the, the recommendation of the president and a vote of the board of trustees. That's the most extreme example that I know of. I know you've been following the uh, Professor Wax situation and her words arguably were harsher. But people shouldn't be punished for their words. I mean, Thomas Jefferson once said, you know, words don't break my bones or, or pick my pockets. Say whatever the heck you want. If I don't like it, I won't listen. Well, we're in a new era. And when we consider what, what words are supposed to mean, let's say you're building a house, you better know what a, uh, a cubic foot is uh, when you're pouring concrete. Uh, well, if we can't define a cubic foot to everyone's satisfaction, and apparently we can't define boy and girl to everyone's satisfaction, uh, yes, then that, that portends trouble, I think, for the social comedy in this country. Yes. Jeff, great conversation. Thank you. Great piece. Where, where can this piece be found in English? Uh, I wrote it in English. I assume it was translated into Italian. <laughs> if I had written it in I don't Italian, even know how to say Jeffrey in Italian. <laughs> if I judge, if I wrote this in Italian, I would be about three words in as we speak. <laughs> um, if you Google uh, the uh, ethics and politics, Etica e Politica is the Italian okay. title, and it's on their website in both Italian and English. Got it. Uh, we will be happily together celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Mises uh, Institute uh, late next week, a week from today. And I look forward to it. And I'll see you then and there. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure. Thank you, Judge. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.